Hi everyone, this is Helen. I usually work behind the scenes on the Divided Families podcast, and I edited today's episode. Today's conversation discusses mixed marriages in the context of Northern Ireland, which looks pretty different from what we might expect in the U.S. This episode is meaningful for me both personally and academically. My family is Irish American, and we've had some mixed marriages in our family history, as well as our fair share of religious tensions. I've also assisted with research on education in Northern Ireland, and I've thought a lot about what role young people and education plays in a country with religious divisions that's also becoming increasingly global and multicultural. I hope you find this episode as interesting as I do. And if you want to learn more about Northern Ireland at the end of the episode, I'd really recommend watching Dairy Girls on Netflix, the new movie Belfast, or listening to the 99% Invisible podcast episode on the history of peace walls, which is a concept Paul will mention today. So without further ado, here's Paul and Paul McLaughlin. everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Divided Families podcast. Um, today, I'm here with a special guest from across the pond, as they say, uh, Paul McLaughlin, who is a development officer at Northern Ireland Mixed Marriage Association, NIMA, um, which has supported mixed couples, those considering mixed marriage in Northern Ireland since 1974. And Paul has been the author and editor of three books on the topic, so I can't think of anyone more knowledgeable um, and, and qualified to speak on the topic of mixed marriage couples in Northern Ireland. So, Paul, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Paul. You make me, you make me sound very important. You are, you are. And, and yeah. I, I think maybe just to give us a sense, I, I would love to hear some stories later on that you encountered writing your books and in your work, because it seems like you've been involved for quite some time. Um, but could you start by telling, uh, sharing a bit about your childhood and your own family growing up? Absolutely. Um, well, I was born in 1953, which makes me quite an elderly gentleman, um, into a Roman Catholic family. My parents were church goers and encouraged my brother and two sisters in their faith. I would describe my mother and father as Christian socialists in the European sense of that name. They believed that those people who can should help those who can. Um, it's really a simple description of one of the foundations of the Christian faith itself and also of a socialist society. They came from families that were mainly Roman Catholic as well, although both my parents had relations from the Church of Ireland, which is the Irish equivalent of the Episcopal Church in the States. Um, the more I think about my parents now that I don't have them anymore, they're in heaven, um, they were good people. 
Um, and I know, Paul, that's an old-fashioned word to be good, but they brought us up to respect other people. Um, I also come from a family, both sides of which had members, including my a grandfather, a great-grandfather, uh, two grandfathers, and my own father, who served in the British Armed Services. So that's three generations over two world wars. So I'm certain that my own views on identity come from this tradition because I regard myself as a proud Irishman who is more than happy to be a British subject. And when I say that, I'm actually paraphrasing somebody who is, who was famous, um, Lord Edward Carson, who he actually was, while striving to avoid the partition of this island a hundred years ago, was one of the architects of the Northern Ireland state, although he was a very reluctant one. So my, my background is Roman Catholic, although 12 years ago, I converted to the Church of Ireland. Um, so I've seen the Christian tradition from two denominations. And my reasons for doing that were basically that I believe that priests should be able to get married and that women should be able to be priests. So apart from that, I don't really see many, very many difference between the Episcopal Church and the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and even for, you know, my, my aunt, uh, was raised Catholic, married, uh, someone who's my uncle, who was Protestant. And I was speaking with my grandmother about it. And, and it se didn't seem like, a that big of a barrier, um, given that the two denominations seem to have more in common, uh, than say, you know, Christianity and, and, uh, a, a different religion, for example. So yeah. I'm wondering, you know, what is the extent to, uh, yeah, what does the mixed marriage mean in Northern Ireland? And like, uh, yeah, could you give us, could you help us understand that? It should, it should really be described, Paul, as an inter-church married marriage. But sadly, in Northern Ireland terms, denomination dictates identity with most Protestants regarding themselves as British, and most Roman Catholics regarding themselves as Irish. So what we've found over a long, long period of time in, in, in Ireland, on the island of Ireland, is that any relationship between the two was regarded with suspicion and worse. The old saying is that love always finds a way. And even in the most sort of depressing and degrading days of, of the troubles, it has done. But the problem has always been about identity. People who made mixed marriages were often regarded as betraying their own culture because they crossed a divide that exists and continues to exist here. So people here have always called it mixed marriage. And even though we regard ourselves as an inter-church organization, uh, and the Christian uh, ethos is very much to the fore in our organization, we, we have to um, admit that calling ourselves the Northern Ireland Mixed Marriage Association hits what people 
regard mixed marriage as it's very important that they, when someone is making what they would call a mixed marriage, that they can find us quickly because there are still many difficulties when you go to do this. I hope I've explained what a, what a mixed marriage is. I mean, the mixed marriage also in Northern Ireland terms can be um, race related, certainly. Um, we have many more uh, immigrants coming into Northern Ireland than ever before, which as I told you earlier, I think is a very good thing. And, and mixed marriage now has become more common in Northern Ireland. Um, it's very hard to get hard facts um, and data about the numbers of mixed marriages, even though we have been lobbying for a number of years to have certain questions included in the Northern Ireland census, which would give us that data. But uh, a fairly recent um, integrated education survey um, tells us that we'd be safe in saying that one in five relationships is mixed which is very healthy uh, in terms of our society. But the problem is that most of those one in five people prefer to keep their heads below the parapet rather right. than talking about their relationships. Um, I, can, I can vouch for that as having organized those three books. I find it very, very difficult to get volunteers, increasingly so with the third book. So really, that's it. A, a mixed marriage in Northern Ireland terms is an interchurch marriage. That's that's really the simple answer. Yeah, that's that's really helpful uh, just to frame the the concept. And on the topic of books, I'm wondering if you, um, I was going to ask about you know divisions in Northern Ireland and some more about the history, um, but actually, I think it would be helpful to to get a sense of a, a story or two that particularly resonated with you. Uh, from the books that you put together. Um, I, I know at least one of the books, they had a lot of powerful stories about mixed marriage uh, in Northern Ireland and the children as well. But is there any story that you'd be willing to share that- Oh, there's, that there's one story in particular, yeah. Paul. Um, I could describe it as a minor horror story. And it concerns a lady who I was proud to call my friend. I, I met her when she was quite old and she has sadly since passed away. But she told me her story for our first book, Mixed Emotions. And it is truly heartbreaking. In fact, I've, I've taken a little quote from it to give you some idea of how deep the fault lines were running between the denominations in this country. Ruth told me, I was shunned. Now, that, there's, a, there's a word that a lot of American listeners will, will relate to, given, given the history of the States. I was shunned by family, friends, and neighbors when I chose to marry my husband, Pat. But we put our trust in God, and he looked after us. Now, Ruth went on to tell me that they had gone out together for almost two years and had to keep it a secret. Now, young romance, I'm not that old, I don't remember. Um, you're very proud if you're in love with someone to tell people that you're in love with them. In fact, to tell your family that you're in love with them is, is, is a prerequisite, I think, of, of courting, as we used to call it. But Ruth told me that in those days that the town they lived in was so small that even though they tried to keep it a secret, it was soon discovered that she was going with a Roman Catholic and then received a visit from 
the worshipful master, who would be like the chairman of the local Orange Lodge, who came round to her and berated her for doing this. Um, she actually denied that she was going with a Catholic at the time, but he came back when he found out it was definite. Now, from there, she was told that if she married this chap, that no one would ever speak to her again. Um, Ruth and Pat did get married. They lost their jobs as a result of the marriage because the owners of, of the company didn't want a mixed couple. And she was shunned entirely by her family to the extent that she wasn't even allowed to go to her parents' funerals many years later. Now, thank goodness, by, by the time I interviewed Ruth, there had been some re reconciliation. And she told me that her story appearing in the book and grabbing the headlines in many local papers, of course, was very helpful and very healing for those members of her family who she hadn't seen in many years. Um, I, I must admit, as, as a fairly cynical journalist, I was very humbled when she shared her story with me. When, as our interview closed, she told me that despite everything, she would have done it again. And that ironically, the granddaughter of the worshipful master who had berated her had just married a Catholic. And you know, there are many other stories, there are many stories less dramatic, probably just as traumatic for those involved, because there's still a lot of prejudice and bigotry and sectarianism that blights our streets. I mean, recent television pictures will show you that. It really hasn't gone away. You know, NIMA has been doing its best for the past 47 years to educate people and to help reconcile differences. Um, because one of the real problems we have is when, we, when you talk to people who hold very strongly prejudiced views, they tend not to be able to articulate them because they don't know the background to them. That they're, I'm not saying that these people aren't intelligent. I'm saying that they haven't found or haven't been told what the background is because bigotry thrives on ignorance. And once people find out, um, you said something earlier about we've more in common. Once they find out the actual history and background to the situation on the island of Ireland, they find that they actually have more in common than certain rabble-rousers would have them believe. So one of, one of Nima's main thrusts has been to produce those books and to have those books used in local schools by 14 and 15-year-olds. I have been very fortunate in being in situations where I've seen young teenagers who have actually read the books, discussed them, and I can honestly say that in 99.9% .9 of those discussions, they have been both more articulate and also much better listeners than any of the adults who, who claim to uh, be our political betters. So that yeah. might get you taken off the air. I'm not sure about that. No, that, that story that you shared of Ruth and... 
her marriage, I think, really encapsulates the social stigma um, mm -hmm. against mixed marriages. I'm wondering if you could share a bit about, you know, I read that Nima has also worked on um, integrated education and shared housing. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm just wondering to what extent does this uh, denominational divisions manifest themselves in Northern Ireland society? Um, you know, is it that from, from when people are very young, they are physically separated or, you know, do they have opportunities for interactions uh, with people from opposite religion at a young age? Probably a very good example. As I look out the window from my home, I can see the children in my own street who play together and they are Roman Catholics and Protestants. Most of these little ones are five or six, seven years of age. Um, they, they play together, but they don't go to school together. They, they go to different schools, which to me is not healthy. You know, they're friends, they, they're growing up neighbors, but when it comes to education, they're separated and told that they are different um, without even having to be told. The fact that your little friend goes to a different school that you, than you do tells you when you're even from your very young that there is something different about you and something different about them. Um, one, one of NEMA's um, aims is to increase the availability of integrated education. Um, you probably will find this hard to believe, Paul, but at the time of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, uh, integrated education represented perhaps five to six percent of the total percentage in Northern Ireland. And despite um, the commitment and obligation within that agreement, 23 years later, it's probably only about 7%. So despite the fact that everyone bought into the agreement and that there is a, there's a legal obligation to, to increase the availability of integrated education, it really hasn't happened. Uh, and NIMA continues to lobby along with the Northern Ireland Council for Integrated Education for greater availability of it. And thank goodness, um, NICE, which is the integrated organization, um, has taken all three of NIMA books and has made them available to teenage students in integrated schools. They are also now available in what are called shared campus, which is a, a fancy sort of a name, it's a place where Catholics and Protestants from secondary level education can go to learn together. It's not integrated schooling as such, but they meet and share and NIMA books are available there. So that's got to be a good thing. Um, as far as housing is concerned, given 30 years of violence in Northern Ireland, People tended to congregate in what we describe as ghettos, particularly in the inner cities and particularly in working class areas. And the housing authorities were asked by the majority of housing applicants, can we live in our own area? Can we live, we're Catholics, can we live in a Roman Catholic area? We're Protestants, we want to live in a Protestant area. And because people felt safer in those days when, when really death stalked the streets of this country, 
um, we now we find that around 96% of social housing, which is what most working class people have, social housing is either one denomination or the other. Now, certainly at the time it was needed, that was probably a good thing. But it can't be a good thing if we are moving forward into a shared future that people are living in different areas. So we're having a, a geographical divide. You know, when I read the background to your project, you know, I thought, well, we don't have a geographical divide. We have a, we have a cultural and an identity divide mm -hmm. um, cloaked as a religious divide. Um, but we also have a geographical divide because people live in, you would call them housing projects that are probably 100% of one denomination or the other. And NIMA has, has been committed for the past oh, 30 years um, to changing that in some way. And thanks to the work of one of my predecessors particularly, um, we now have around 40 shared neighbourhoods, social housing, shared neighbourhoods across Northern Ireland where people actually sign up sign a covenant to say that this will be and remain a mixed housing project. So we've got around 40 of them. We need many, many more. We need many of our housing projects to change. And I would hope that as more younger people grow up with more progressive ideas and less prejudice, that they will change. But unless someone keeps pushing the, the integrated education agenda and the shared housing agenda, nothing will be done because the people who lead, and I, I, I use that word advisedly, who lead Northern Ireland really have no interest in bringing the two communities together. The two main parties that, that are in power in our executive would be described as extreme parties. The DUP and on the Protestant side, Sinn Féin on the nationalist side. One politician, and I won't describe which colour he came from, described mixed marriage as a dilution of nationality. Um, and I find that particularly offensive. So mixed marriage is still a problem. It's easier to make one thanks to the work of NIMA over the years, it's easier to make one, but there's a still a lot of baggage involved and somewhere like NIMA is needed for those people who have problems. And there will, unfortunately, there will always be problems. Well, one, I just want to say that on the topic of geographic division, I've seen mm -hmm. photos of peace walls in different cities yeah. in Northern Ireland that actually separate um, these different denominations uh, but, but i've and i've uh, been watching this movie uh it's i guess it's from over 20 years ago called the love divided oh yes where yeah the the decision of schooling uh for a couple's child becomes the the sticking point in their marriage uh, right. of the town and it's uh just such a powerful example i think of um i mean it seemed very very dramatic uh but i'm i'm sure that it's even more dramatic in real life um but what you were just saying about um the need for nima 
is that I, I rem remember reading in an interview that you did, maybe from a few years ago, that I think you were saying that the hope of NIMA is that there will be no need for it, you know, because uh, to uh, put ourselves out of business and make mixed marriage normal. And mm -hmm. I can relate to that as a you know, advocate for family reunion and ending family separation. You know, I, in an ideal world, there would be no need for us. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering if you could comment on, on that and, and talk about, you know, how successful do you think um, NIMA has been, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're not the only ones working on this issue, but mm -hmm. how has the perception of mixed marriages changed you know, since NIMA started? It's been quite some time now, I'm guessing over 40 years. Over 40 years. Uh, yeah. So uh, do you think the social divisions have healed, and especially with the new generation? Um, and as you said, the increased immigration and diversity in Northern Ireland? Has changed yeah. to a certain extent, Paul. Um, and sadly, in many ways, in a class way, um, whereby people who can afford to buy their homes can afford to decide where they want to live geographically. And they can live in areas that are open inverted commas, mixed, closed inverted commas. And that, that's wonderful. Um, and certainly many of the younger generation um, who are perhaps more secular than their forebears and who can't afford to buy homes don't have any problems when they marry across their tradition or out of their tradition. Unfortunately, what you're seeing on television pictures are young, young, well, young, very young people in some cases from working class areas, particularly of Belfast, um, who are rioting nightly on, on both sides of, of the peace walls you described. Um, probably war walls would be more appropriate because those walls that have been that have been there now, some of them for 50 years will not be coming down in my lifetime, I wouldn't think. Um, the divisions are still there uh, very strongly and much more in a class way than they would have been 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, sadly, the more socially deprived areas are where bigotry and prejudice are strongest. So th those areas that, that need investment really, First and foremost, we, we, we need jobs and, and we need better education standards to, to help young people. Um, we need strong community leaders to show that there is no future in having a police record, for instance, which many of these young people will have after their, the antics of the last few weeks. Um, so, the social divisions are still there, and as I say, they, they are more, I'm not sure whether um, people in the United States appreciate middle class, working class, but along the lines of probably your would be blue collar, white collar. Right. Um, if you're in a white collar situation, you do have choice. More often than a blue collar situation, you really don't have choice. And those young people, in, in their ignorance and undeserved ignorance can become the fodder in, in disputes that are organized 
and perpetuated by people who should know better. I'm, I don't wish to sound too pessimistic on that um, because to work in NIMA, I think one has to be an optimist. We, we look to the future, as you said earlier, our mission statement is to put ourselves out of business. Uh, as somebody who worked in the corporate world for a long time, you'll not find too many altruistic corporate people who would come up with a mission statement like that. Yeah, I can um, imagine. But psychologists tell us that attitudes towards mixed marriage, positive attitudes towards mixed marriage, are the sign of a healthy society. At the moment, because we have so many people reluctant to actually say they're in mixed marriages, the jury's out on our society. And the jury comes in in working class and deprived areas very much against mixed marriage. Um, it's seen as a threat, um, sadly. Um, so there's so much work still to be done. So much work needed, needs to be done politically, um, which NIMA can't do. We can, we can lobby for certain things. But what we really need are politicians to show leadership. And I said to you earlier, to show a little bit of statesmanship to step outside their own comfort zones and to actually work for the people who vote for them. Um, there's an awful lot of, uh, said in this part of the world um, by politicians uh, about tradition. Um, I think we really start need to talk about breaking with tradition. Tradition has got us nowhere. Tradition has, has got us at loggerheads, um, I think. We need politicians who are going to say, let's not forget about tradition. Oh, we, all, we can learn from it, but let's talk about the future. Um, because any young people that I meet and talk to, they're more worried about what jobs they're going to get. Are they going to have a university place? What sort of a life they're going to have? Can they stay in Northern Ireland? Is there a future for them? Um, and none of those areas have been addressed or are being addressed at the minute. Speaking of the future, I think one thing that's on a lot of people's minds and in the media regarding Northern Ireland is the impact of Brexit. Um, uh, but that's something that I think is really referred to, at least in the US, in geopolitical terms, in terms of markets and uh, trade barriers. Uh, so really in a lot of these... Uh, geopolitical abstract terms, but I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if you could at least help me understand what implications, what kind of impact do you think Brexit will have on families, you know, whether yeah. they're mixed marriages or just, uh, or individuals um, in Northern Ireland? Yeah. Well, first of all, Paul, people who come to us when they're about to make a mixed marriage, come to us for the, the reason that they have a problem. You know, we have a very comprehensive website that, that can deal with probably 90% of inquiries, you know, where can we get this? How can we do that? Um, so the people who actually come to me are people whose families are already divided. So NEMA you know, is proud of the fact that it, it heals those divisions in that, the couple are able to make the missed marriage. With regard to the dreaded B word, when I think of Brexit now, and I think of Brexit five 
the potential Brexit five years ago, I wonder how on earth certain people could have voted for it. Because Brexit has all the potential for a breakup of the United Kingdom. Now that potential has led to all sorts of rhetoric um, from our, our political betters. None of it helpful to reconciliation. Um, we're at a situation where we need cool heads, calming words, very much in the, in the days and weeks ahead, because that rhetoric is being used to inflame sectarianism. And what we have, which we certainly don't need, is uncertainty. And in Northern Ireland terms, uncertainty brings instability. And instability, we know from the past, has brought terrible times to this part of the world. So we would hope that people will keep, keep cool, keep calm, and recognize that making dramatic gestures or street violence is not going to help. That's to sit back and look at it realistically. Um, what is going to change, what it isn't going to change. Um, there, there are many um, different factors at play over the future of Northern Ireland at the moment as the centenary of the state is being celebrated. None of us know what's going to happen over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, in the same way, none of us foresaw the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. But I think it's time to sit back and educate our young people as to what has happened already, uh, what might happen, and the repercussions of all of that. You know, we have always said that uh, the mixed marriage association and mixed marriage is about healing. We would, I would hope that there is more healing outside mixed marriage as well, because we really need that among our young people. Yeah, I think healing, reconciliation are, yeah, just two themes that I think have resonated through all of these different contexts and episodes that I've seen on this program. And I'm just wondering, I guess the last question I have before we close is you in these different stories that I was reading in the mixed emotions, um, in one of the books that you edited, I, I saw various um, kind of common strands of how to deal with uh, this mixed marriage, the taboo. You know, they included just keeping it secret from others or uh, compromising or um, just not talking about it at all, right? Just uh, putting love first and not talking about it. Um, and I know in the past there was this ne temere by the Catholic Church where the uh, Protestant spouse had to, you know, basically compromise and raise their child Catholic. Uh, but, but in your, from your experience looking at these various different cases that you've encountered, you know, what, what is the best, maybe not the best, but, um, how have you seen healing and reconciliation in mixed marriage in Northern Ireland uh, work? It entails compromise. It entails tolerance because you're bringing together two people from, in Northern Ireland in terms, two different cultures who have to adjust 
So they do have to compromise. The way, and you're still a young chap, but the way when you make any marriage, you will have to adjust to the other person. You will have to make compromises. In a mixed marriage, um, I always say, there's more to talk about, so people talk more. Um, but they do have to compromise. And it's actually, it can be a blueprint for the shared future that most of us are looking forward to. But it does entail not getting everything you want. It's, it's like a negotiation. You know, we need negotiations where you, you get some of what you want and you give the other person some of what they want. So we, we would describe mixed marriage as that ideal. It's, 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 it's where you compromise. And the problem with bigotry and sectarianism is because these people believe they're so right, they refuse to compromise at all. So our, our message to young teenagers through our publications is, is one of tolerance. Um, and don't think of difference, think of diversity. Don't think of division, think of diversity. Um, the same as you said earlier about immigrants coming into Northern Ireland. You know, I welcome that. That's more diversity. And, and that's really what we need. Um, we certainly don't need any more division. Um, we, we have enough difference. But again, when people are educated, they will realize that we have more in common than we do that separate us. So despite the fact that Brexit has, has caused all sorts of upheavals, uh, I'm still optimistic that it will be addressed and it will be addressed coolly and sensibly and that we will come through it the better for it, I hope. I, Paul, I can't think of a better note um, to end on, on really uh, ending with this message of hope, I think, for the new generation. Uh, oh, I I'm hope wondering... so, I really do believe <laughs> that. Um, I, I talk to school 15-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm more hopeful about them than I am about their parents or their grandparents. Um, because our young people aren't all out rioting. You know, you do see these pictures and people are inclined to think that's happening all over the country. Um, those riots have been organized by paramilitary groups, I would imagine, um, orchestrated, as you can see, the way they move geographically from one day to the next. You know, that's not something that's spontaneous. It's besmirching the character of our young people and it's ruining the lives of those young people directly involved. And I find that very sad. Yeah, Paul, uh, uh, given that a lot of our listeners on this podcast are uh, young people, mostly in the US and other countries, you know, what can listeners do to learn more um, about NIMA, but also do something uh, to, to help the cause? Um, given that I think, you know, this has been a really comprehensive conversation, but it's I'm sure it's only the tip of the iceberg with regard to decades, if not centuries of division and conflict. Well, no, I'm, I'm more than happy and I, I welcome any, any uh, of your listeners to get in touch with us on our website, which is www.nima.org.uk uh, to write to us. Um, if, they, if they 
want information, certainly, um, to talk to us on, e on email, which is uh, info at nema.org.uk. Um, we do have quite a, quite a number of international students who get in touch with us because um, Northern Ireland can be a pet subject for theses. Um, I'm more than happy to uh, provide information or background or, or colour about what's happening here. Um, I think it's very healthy for us that a balanced viewpoint is as widespread as possible, um, which is why I thank you very much, Paul, for giving us this platform, because it can all seem like doom and gloom. And really, it's not. What we're saying is there is a future out there to be had, and it's, it is a good one. But we have to work work for it and work at it. So certainly, I would encourage any any young people. I'm not I'm not sure how they can help, other than by getting in touch with us, um, by writing about it, perhaps by uh, taking school or college projects that are about Northern Ireland, as in your own project. A little microcosm like Northern Ireland can explain many bigger questions. The same way you've picked other areas like the Holocaust or perhaps the, the black and white problems, racial problems in the States. Um, somewhere like Northern Ireland, which is very small, with a very small population, you can extrapolate out into much bigger, more important issues. Um, so I, yes, I would, I would really encourage young people to pick a project um, and any background that they need, we'll provide it for them. Well, all I can say to that is, amen. <laughs> and um, That's a, a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Paul. Oh, no, I've, I really enjoyed it. It's been great speaking to you. And if you're interested in hearing more stories of family separation, please follow us on Instagram at Divided Families Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and you can follow us on your preferred streaming platform. Thanks as always to Flannel Albert for the music and see you next time.